You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. In this world of turmoil, you're struggling to find energetic balance, and you panic because your spirituality is not where you desire it to be. Yet creating a powerful foundation of empowerment is what you know you can achieve. Hi, I am Martin Neal Campbell, author of the book Receiving the Gift We Give, which is available on Amazon eBooks and my website, receivingthegiftwegive.com. I invite you to uncover your power and greatly expand your energies by embracing your divine self. Sovereign Self is about individual empowerment and freedom. In exploring this sovereign self, our discussions will encompass self-love, oneness, and diverse spiritual understandings as life is a journey of expansion which never ends. Join author Martin Neil Campbell, trainer and business facilitator Karen Murphy, and spiritual archaeologist Ron Mayer as their discussions help lead their listeners into an ever-expanding journey of peace, love, joy, and freedom to become who you desire and be your sovereign self. Welcome to Sovereign Self. I am your host, Martin Neil Campbell, and your two fabulously divine and wondrous co-hosts, as always, are Karen Murphy and Ron Mayer. Hello, guys. Hi, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. I'm just adjusting my headset because my head's getting wider and wider and wider. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And for no good reason. (laughs) Just the truth, ma'am. Just the truth. Just the facts, I think they said. One of the police programs. Car 64, where are you or whenever it was? Oh, yeah, that's it. Yes, I remember that. In talking about this program tonight, it really has a broad base. We'll get to a few things in specific, but... Basically, the title is very long. Trials with our ego, illusions, low self-esteem, and fear. Now, that brings in a lot. (laughs) And someone said, something I was reading today, that the root of all your anger is in fear and guilt. But there's also the other thing that we have to remember, that everything is perfect just the way it is. And what we call negative is a gift to help us quite often decide who we want to be. Mm-hmm. Because everything in life is our choice. We are co-creators, and we are a part of all that is, and I'll say God. And that is hard for people to grasp, that we are God, and we are all one. And we're all connected and part of God. When you picture God, assuming that you believe in God, what do you picture? that you and God are one, or that God is an all-powerful, vengeful being out there somewhere. And the two are very diverse pictures. Many times our lack of self-love that, that prevents us from believing we are God and we're all one. And being your sovereign self means you are your own God, creating with God your reality and your relationship to all that is, which is God. Each of our roots to God can be totally unique and our own, and in fact, they all are. Is this not what would be great to teach our children? Give them a bigger vision of who they are. Move it out to something that has a larger understanding. But quite often, our desires, low self-esteem, and ego get in the way. We want our children to be like us in belief, as well as everyone else quite often. Mm-hmm. But are we not all our own person? 
when you look at it that way and recognize that everyone is their own person, why would we want it any other way than them right. being their unique self and creators with God? So that is the introduction, and it ties back to ego illusions, low self-esteem, and fear, because they are what is holding what is holding us back from recognizing that we are one with each other, which means we're one with God. And how do we bring that forward, and how do we begin messaging that, especially to, well, not especially, but to children as well as everyone else? I shouldn't segregate anyone. It's no especially children, but it is an aspect of it. So I'll throw that out at that point and say, any comments from anyone? Well, geez, that, there's a lot there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> where, where, where do you start with this one? But I guess what I'd like to start off with is the the what you touched upon with regards to the concept of God and the fact that there is no separation. I love that movie, and I think I've said this again with regards to Shirley MacLaine out on a limb when she was on the beach and she had her, her arms stretched open wide and she was claiming that she was God. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting statement, and many people, when they first make that statement, it pulls up a lot of a lot of concerning questions, especially if that's the first time you've ever said that. It will bring up a whole slew of what hubris, you know, well, how, how dare you think that you're, you know, so elevated? Are you being egotistical and thinking that you're, you know, and, and there'll be a lot of judgment patterns that would come in during this foray into understanding that you are God, not the totality of God, but that you are an aspect of God. And in fact, in Kelantic science, there's an actual location within the frequency bands that you can actually identify the god of Martin, for instance, and the god of Ron, or the god of Karen, which all of those three gods which are still part of God, the one and only, but the location would be, let's see if I can put this straight now, we are in dimensions one, two, and three in the first harmonic universe. Each of those dimensions has 12 sub-frequency bands. So in dimension one, you have one through 12, dimension two, you have one through 12, and dimension three, you have one through 12. Then surrounding those three dimensions is called the density Merkaba. It also has one through 12. It is still a part of you. And in fact, when you get to the subfrequency band number nine in the density Merkaba one field, which surrounds Dense, your dimensions one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. This is this is where you will locate the platform of mind that identifies as Martin's God, Ron's God, and Karen's God. So there is even a location within the frequency structure of the of the time matrix itself that can identify where our aspect of God in the first harmonic universe is. And as I said, there is only but one God. So there is only but one mind, there is only one will. Typically speaking, there would only be one soul, and we are all part of that oneness. Mm -hmm. But it's it's difficult because, as I said, if you're on the beach and you're throwing your arms wide open, you begin to embrace the concept of God, but there there is still quite a lot of judgment patterns and old conditioning that you will need to observe and let go of before you can really deeply begin to feel what that truly means. Oh, yeah. 
Now, the thing there is that when you're picturing yourself as being one with God, I always say it's, for me, it's easier to go through the, the heart center, which mm -hmm. I say is our connection. And when you go into your heart center and you're feeling kindness and love and all the wonderful love aspects of who we are, that in many ways is you're connecting to the divinity of God because God is the source of all love. Mm -hmm. And I always say that one of the better ways to connect with God and become more one with God is to do it through your love center. Because the more you can connect with love, the more you connect automatically with what God is, because the creative power of the universe is love. And the more you can connect through love, the more you will automatically connect with God and recognize that we are all one, including yourself and God and everyone else. So it's that, that mental realization that has to be developed. And I often say that the, the best route there I've found is through love. Yes. I, I have to add something. You just triggered something in me. Hmm. Now, although you won't find this information in the freedom teachings with regards to the Kelantic science that I've just spoken of, the density Merkaba that I talked about, which surrounds dimensions one, two, and three, and the density Merkaba itself is in the exact same location as the fourth dimension band frequency is. The fourth dimensional band frequency is representative of the heart here in our in our first harmonic universe. So I'm not surprised that if the god of Ron is located on the ninth subfrequency band in the density Merkaba, when you overlap that with the, the heart chakra or the, the um, astral plane, which is where the fourth dimension is, they're in the same location. So I'd be curious to find out what the Guardians would actually say with regards to what's the link between the, the God of Ron and the fourth dimension, which is the heart chakra in the human body. So they're one and the same. So when you're talking about God as being expressed through the heart, it's like, my God, yeah, they're in the same location. So why mm -hmm. wouldn't it be that way? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's one and the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. And as I said, everybody has seen pictures of Yeshua ben Joseph or Jesus where he's always pointing to his heart as the doorway to the kingdom. Right. Mm -hmm. And he did say that where is heaven? And he pointed to his heart. Points to the heart. So yes, and that so would, that would fit in with the multi-dimensions yes. and yes. 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 Well, we all know is as we interact as human beings in this place and space, that we know when we're coming from our heart, and we also know when we're coming from our ego. Mm. Oh. You know, we we might like to shy away from it. You know, we have a lot of excuses about this and that and the next thing, but at the end of the day, we all know. In intuitively within our hearts, because that's where we where we live and breathe. In my estimation, we all know if you're actually coming from your heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing there is is that the and I guess you say that, and everyone will think about various things. When you think about being in love with someone, and how well that feels. When you think about someone brings a big smile to your face. When you feel about laughter yeah. after a joke. When you feel about someone giving you a compliment and saying how well you did something or how wonderful you are, when you think about all these things, someone being kind, it all comes from love in the heart. I would ask everyone to think, is there 
any better feeling than all those. Exactly. Uh, or that type of feeling, as opposed to ego bravado, trying to pump yourself up, trying to make yourself more important, getting angers with someone else to get your point across or all that. Which one brings the most, the most joy into your life? And mm-hmm. that's it exactly, Martin. I mean, we've talked in past programs about random acts of kindness and things of that nature. And we've often talked about whilst we can do it anonymously, and that's probably a great way to do it. If you think about when you do something it really comes in your heart center and you really do something that makes someone else feel good, whether or not they acknowledge it, you feel good. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it before. There's this, there's an experiment they did to measure the endorphins in the brain that fire off when you're feeling good and elated. And it's interesting that when someone gives money to someone who looks you know destitute on the street or whatever and gives them money, both of them, when the money is given, their endorphins go up. But what I found fascinating by this study was that people who had their back to it and weren't even seeing it, their endorphins went up as well. So it proves mm-hmm. there's an energy field there that connects us all and affects us all. I brought this up a couple of times in the, in the previous programs where the type of love that is generated in the heart is the balance of spirit and will. Will being expressed as emotion and spirit being expressed as intelligence. To me, whenever I see somebody coming from the heart that might have an imbalanced will and is dealing from negative emotions rather than joyful, loving emotions. They can be very intelligent, but when you encounter these people, there is still something that you can sense, especially if you're using your intuition, that there's something definitely off-putting with this person. And it's the same thing if the person has a will center and is incapable of feeling, they may very well be intelligent and they can sound wonderful, but without the feeling behind it, you know that it's a counterfeit love. It's an empty sense. There has to be the emotional frequencies of the will combined with the intelligence that gives the kind of ecstatic, hair-rising experience of what I call of lava of love that is balanced in the heart. Emotion is such a part of that. Without the emotion, there's no movement to it. When you're moved by someone's capacity, it means they're balancing a certain amount of their will center in the heart with their intelligence. So it all comes to balance in the heart. And you, you have to have both. You have to have the emotional body as well as the intelligence. We've heard a, a lot of people who are very passionate, but they have no intelligence. And a lot of times, you know, I've jokingly said, you know, all love, light, and clueless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The balance in the heart is so tricky, especially with so many people having so many problems with their emotional body. Right. Well, I think one of the things too, Ron, that I'd like to explore with you guys tonight is this concept of people feeling this emotion and feeling this love within their hearts. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes, as you, as you said, Ron, love like clueless, sometimes it's not really readily acceptable to be emotional or to be that caring or to be that giving. Oftentimes, from a societal perspective, we look at it as, why are they doing that? 
Yeah, and you're right. And this is what, what I'm saying with regards to how damaged our emotional bodies is. It is damaged to the point where when we allow expression of our emotions, many, many times they're completely imbalanced. And so, yes, you will, you'll have a picture, an outpicturing of an imbalanced outprojection. The emotional body, when it is healed, will always respond in perfect balance with the spirit. But when there's not a balance there, and this is the problem because our, many people's emotional bodies are screaming for acceptance. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're healed, but the part of themselves that is screaming for acceptance, and that would be some rage. And this is to the degree that they're not allowing that expression to occur. Now, I've said this before in, in past programs, you need to do so in an environment that understands what it is you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. 99% of the population out there, if you were to start expressing the emotions as they come up, depending on how distorted your emotional body is, most likely most people would say, well, that's inappropriate behavior. And I would agree with you to a certain extent, Ron, but -hmm. I would challenge that at what point in time do people get to just actually, I'm not saying in a negative manner, but at what point in time do people get to actually express how they feel without second-guessing themselves? And well, I that, think much of that comes from being moving more towards your self-sovereignty. But I'd like to know both yours and Martin's thoughts on that. I was just going to say that when you are dealing with other people, we know that other people have different views all over the map about who they are, where they are, and what things should be. You still have to take into consideration how you're talking to those people to how they're going to react and what is the outcome going to be because if you know someone doesn't like things that are you know lovey-dovey and go off the wall over it then why would you be that way with them to have them go off the wall it part of it is balance you can work into things with people and then there are other people that you have closer to you and that know you that you can act exactly the way you are but we already mm-hmm. know that mm-hmm. society at the moment doesn't accept everyone acting exactly the way they are. Mm-hmm. Fair no. enough. No, no. That's great. The thing of it is, is once you begin, you have to actually experiment with this to know if this practice is right for you or not. But once you begin to express some of this hidden angers and these rages that might get triggered during the day, if you go and you express them until the charge is completely released and you've expressed it as much as possible, it's amazing where that will bring you feeling when you go back to revisit that situation. You will not be emotionally charged anymore. You will be far more allowing mm-hmm. and less likely to f- flip the rage switch. It's only when you continue to suppress these negative and dark emotions, which we always deem so inappropriate, it's when you continue to express to suppress them, that they continue to build up charge, and then it really creates a lot of problem for you. Eventually, if you suppress it long enough, it actually will create an entire event for you to face yourself all over again Yeah. in order for you to release those rages. And if you don't, and if you continue to swallow it, this is where illness becomes habitual. So, Ron, the question that I would have from that perspective would be if it's negative What is the appropriate way or what are some of the appropriate ways that people can release that Uh without creating more upset and turmoil? So, for example, if you're really outraged at a friend or a coworker Uh or whomever, I wouldn't actually 
from my perspective, I wouldn't recommend lashing out at them. No, not at them. Not at them. Do it in private. You have to do it in private. They won't understand. And in fact, you will probably trigger them because you're so connected. You're like two sides of the same coin. Right. So I want to make that clear for our listeners that they understood that. No, 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 no. no. Okay. No, you would need to express it away from them so that you can come to understand what your judgments are in the situation. You won't be able to see your judgments if you've got an overabundance of emotional charge that is wanting to be released. Right, right. At least at first. Then you can see where your judgment is. Then you can relinquish the judgment. Then you can go back to the situation. And lo and behold, you're far more compassionate with this person. You're far more allowing, and that's with a capital A, because you have done the inner work yourself. You've released yourself from your own judgment. When we talk about our sovereign self, when we go through some of the behaviors of being a sovereign self, mm-hmm. there is allowing, there is grace, and there is wisdom. Mm-hmm. And if you're going into a situation and talking to people and dealing with people, you should always move yourself privately or whatever you need to do before you get into those situations into a state of allowing grace and wisdom. Right. Because unless you're in a state of allowing grace and wisdom, it can it will cause problems. And that's really where you want to get to in yeah. all instances. Now, of course, we sometimes all of us instantly blow up at something, but it is a matter of not doing it against them and going off the wall. Right. Right. And in, and in fact, when I have done that, mm-hmm. when I have gone back to the person that originally was triggering it at me. Because of the amount of emotional charge that I ended up releasing, and I ended up seeing the judgment that I was I, that I was having, mm-hmm. and managed to release it. When I went back to make amends, basically with this one person, I had released so much of the charge, and it changed so much. I was able to gently get them to see their side of the equation as well, and that is a true gift if you can do that. The idea, of course, is. You would want to allow this other person just to simply be the way they are with no judgment. This is what unconditional love is all about. When you finally get to recognize what the the true situation is and you have what Martin calls that wisdom, that wisdom can also assist you in assisting the other person in order to overcome their personal judgments as well. That is, for me, the the top of the cake type of thing when that happens. Right. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, but there's a lot of people today are caught up in their guilt and fear, which leads to anger. I find quite often it is about the illusions we've been taught. One thing we've been taught over and over again is to have a low self-esteem. We don't value ourselves. We don't love ourselves. We don't see our connection and oneness with God. And because of that, we have a low self-esteem. We're put down all the time. We're taught you have to be in charge or you're nothing or you have to be right or you're nothing and you know on and on it goes all of that is really low self-esteem you've been taught to have a low self-esteem confidence true confidence is truly bringing in your truth but it's bringing it in with allowance when you talk with people grace because of how you handle yourself and wisdom because you know what to say when that will help the situation and everyone involved. And that is the reverse and the opposite of low self-esteem. One of the things with regards to low self-esteem, one thing that helped, definitely helped me, because there is a there's an aspect of me that likes to wallow in low, in low self-esteem sometimes. <laughs> it's a trigger that relinquishes me from taking responsibility for anything. 
one of the things when I decided to challenge my low self-esteem is to have little projects and bring those projects to completion. Mm -hmm. When you complete a project, your self-esteem will go skyrocketing. So when you start small and you see, and because a lot of times, a lot of people will start these little projects and they won't finish them. And that's completely disempowering, not to mention adding more to your idea that you're of low self-esteem. So completing these small little projects that you might give yourself, best ones are the ones that are given to you at work, especially if they make you stretch. If you complete those projects at work, it's amazing. The confidence, the the self-esteem is just reestablished instantly. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, the best way to build confidence is by accomplishing something. And that's amazing because it is the opposite of low self-esteem. Confidence, in mm-hmm. many ways, in its truest sense, mm-hmm. is the opposite of low self-esteem. Yeah, but the low self-esteem usually says, oh, you can't finish anything. You're not worth it, so why even try? Exactly. Or you go the opposite, and you become very bravado about everything. Oh, I'm right, mm-hmm. and you're wrong, and you know, it, and it, you know well, yeah. putting other people down or mm-hmm. lying about something because you don't want to face the truth. That's all yes. low self-esteem. <laughs> Martin, you make a really great point. How many people have we seen that work in industry and they say, wow, I did this. I did this on my own. And you know they didn't. They have no thought or process because of that low self-esteem. Where if I give credence to someone else with that lesser what I did? Mm-hmm. It's kind of balancing all of that together to say, hey, you have to – kind of put yourself in a situation that says, I'm okay, and I can do this. And whether it's with other people or not, you were part of the accomplishment. Exactly. And that builds the oneness as well, because that's the other trouble with a lot of things in society and how we've been taught, is we've been taught that we have to do everything on our own. And it's so often true We are when we think, and most people think about solving a world problem or solving a problem in their neighborhood or solving problems at work. They sit there and think they have to do it all on their own. And they don't. And then they get very upset and they have low self-esteem because I can't solve the problem. Nor should they. No, exactly. We've been taught to be islands in so many ways that we're not. Which is why, Bart, to that that point, that's why so many organizations have so many of these different little silos Mm -hmm. of groups of people and everyone's striving to do their best and everyone is absolutely moving towards the same goal, mm-hmm. but they're doing it in silos and they don't realize sometimes how destructive that may be. Especially mm-hmm. when they go in different directions. Well, yeah. I mean, you and I worked for a company that yes. I don't know if you were in on the sessions, but one of them was they were they were trying to say to us that they wanted all A, red people and nobody else, which are the people who are full of ego and they're always right. and It's our way or the highway. And can you imagine every employee like that? Holy mackerel. Yeah, this is what they thought was best. Oh, my well, God. The warring that would go on there. there nobody, would, nobody, There would be no such thing as teamwork. No. Well, and that, that's the thing. I mean, where, where Barton was talking about was it's all of those classifications that we do where we go through these, who are you? What are you all about? What are your skills? Yada, yada, yada. Who are you? Mm-hmm. And you're a, you're a certain color. Mm-hmm. And this is this that Martin was talking about. It was like. They wanted all, everyone to be one color because they were all, in their minds, leaders. 
I would ask our listeners and I would ask ourselves, are they really leaders or do we not need a combination thereof as co-creation being one to mesh and you know go with the ebb and the flow mm-hmm. and figure out where your strengths and weaknesses are mm-hmm. and play to those and then create that establishment, whatever that looks like. Uh-huh. Well, that's what I said in the introduction that everyone, parents or whomever, any, anyone actually, wants everyone to believe as they do. Yeah. And the problem that occurred, and that's the sample, one of the reasons I brought it up was in that company. The leaders of the company were all Reds, a Red. And they thought that was the way everyone should be because they were the leaders, they were in charge, and if everyone was like them, it would be ducky. What they didn't realize is that if everyone was like them, it would be a disaster. It would be. Uh, Yeah, where's the ebb and flow? Where's the the continuity? We're also at a time in our conscious evolution where we're beginning to recognize that sameness equates to death. If a company wants to survive, it has to begin to embrace the uniqueness of its employees. This is where the resiliency and the ability to be able to turn on a dime when somebody brings in an idea that is different from somebody else's if everybody had different differing ideas, you'd have a plethora of ideas that you could pick and choose from. But if everybody was the same, you'd only have one. And if that one idea failed, your company would be gone. So yep. they're beginning to recognize that sameness is not a healthy thing these days. No, exactly. And that responding to uniqueness and the differences and understanding that that's where freedom truly lies is in your uniqueness. Yeah, and the oneness because – it used to be that they just dictated from the top and you were done as you were told. You did as you were told, sorry. And <laughs> they moved away from that. So when you do bring in opinions of, of various people across mm-hmm. the company, then mm-hmm. you get more oneness and you get very much more uh, diversity and quickness to do things probably better than ever before. Well, that's interesting because, gentlemen, and we've talked about this before, but the company that I work for today does just that. And it's very fascinating to watch the uniqueness of the collaboration Mm. that goes on Uh and everyone gets an opportunity to speak. And there is not that pointing of fingers or, oh, you missed this or you missed that. It's more about what's our common goal and how do we achieve it? It's a very interesting perspective. And I'll tell you, it's very invigorating. Well, companies are beginning to embrace and see the value in some of these new ideas that are challenging the old paradigms way of thinking. They're still, however, still stuck, especially the financial industry is still so still stuck in competition and in fear that there is not enough to go around. Yeah. One of the illusions. Yeah. I'm seeing that, yes, corporations are changing and maybe not quite as fast as I would like them to change sometimes, Mm. but I am heartened by some of the things I am seeing currently in my company starting to take note. The fact that they're valuing people a little bit more than they once did before. So it's not all just lip service, I think. They are starting to change their ideas about what constitutes value within a company. Very much indeed. Karen, any ideas? Sure. Well, in keeping with the concepts of what we've been talking about, I think if we go back to... Martin's introduction about the trials with our egos and, you know, our fears and those kinds of things. We've talked about a lot of things this evening, but 
one of the things that I, I believe is very clear, at least for me it is, is that we have to release our ego. We have to release our fears and we have to embrace, as Ron obviously always with great clarity talks about, what about the people? I'm a firm believer that we are as co-creators with our God or whomever you might call that being. Mm -hmm. We have choices and we get to make choices every day. And I think as we move forward, especially during these tumultuous times of change and all the things that are going on, this is a time for us to hold on and be people and to move it forward from a heart-centered perspective so that we're not basing ourselves on what would my ego say. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that ego has its place in fight or flight. I get that. Yeah. Absolutely. It keeps us in check. Uh I believe we should bring our ego along with us. Have a conversation with your ego and bring it along. But it's really about looking at humanity, in my perspective, as a whole and saying, where do we want to go? What's our next what's our next right step? I won't say right or wrong step, but what's our next best step to get us there? And we can do that with coming from our heart center and doing that with love in our hearts and saying, okay, I know if I have this issue to deal with with someone or something, I can do that if I'm really heart centered and I know what my focus is. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Ron? Well, with regards to the ego, you're very much right on the mark with regards to that. We have given our ego such an enormous job, and we have overburdened it with responsibilities, which by rights should never have been given to it. And this is where the ego's tremendous guilt and tremendous fear of not being able to do the job comes up. But our job is simply to, and this is where the Christ consciousness or that still small voice inside that what I call the intuitive mind. Mm -hmm. This is what, if, if you can begin to nurture this, this is what will in fact begin to lead you away from expecting so much from the ego. Once you start expecting so much from the ego, the ego will eventually come along. It will actually more than likely begin to feel an easing off of the expectations because now you're claiming back your power through your Christ consciousness. And as you continue to develop your Christ awareness and your self-sovereignty, that will assist in evolving the ego back to where it does its natural role because the ego is just as divine as everything else. Oh, for sure. For sure. But you're right. That's where a lot of the fears are. You know, we were talking the other day about the fact that so many people seem to be unprepared. Mm-hmm. for what is coming ahead, the flipped, the paradigm shift into the thousand years of light, as some people are calling it, the whole concept that you create your own reality. And I think I had made the comment during that conversation that common sense was indeed shifting. After looking at what common sense was 40 years ago, when even the, the term unconditional love was nowhere to be found, <laughs> to, today, There are a lot of people who wouldn't consider themselves spiritually awakened people, but understand the concept now of unconditional love. So those those of us who are on the path, those of us who are 
doing the job of clearing what we need to clear in order for the ascension to go on, we are indirectly affecting the other 95% of the human population that's still asleep. Mm -hmm. We can effectively, and in fact, I think there was a a percentage rate that said we could effectively change the entire world if 8% of the human population embraced their full Mm self-sovereignty. Yes. Oh, and that's true because it's exponential. Well, I remember, I think I mentioned this several, several shows ago, ago, but maybe it's worth mentioning here just on the heels of what you just said, Ron. And that was the experiment that I did when I walked into the, the little grocery store. Mm. Remember that? And this might be repetitive, but it might be worth, worth saying. And that is that I walked in and I thought, hmm. What if I put a smile on my face? And what if I try to make eye contact with every person that I meet today? And what if I I make this really nice, positive impression? What will that do? If you recall, gentlemen, people that interacted with, interacted with me. But what was most astounding, and I think, Ron, this is what you were talking about, was as I watched around me, people that I was not even interacting with, one iota. I saw their mindset change. Yes. Yes. I saw them getting into this vibration that was being put off. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit of a test. And I think after that, I thought, okay, I think it was one of our shows. You guys talked about it. I thought, okay, I'm going to go test it. And out I went. And it was really cool to see how other people in this little, it was a very tiny grocery store. And yet, all those people that I did not interact with started to embrace the same vibration. I saw people smiling and chatting with one another and interaction. So it does happen. We can uh-huh. create it. Uh-huh. And we do and, create it. And so you we do, do the same it. at work. It's interesting. You know, you say that I tend to walk down the corridors at work and as people go by, I smile and say good morning or good afternoon or how are you doing? And, and they smile right back and everything. But it's funny from that point on. I'm not always the first one anymore to give that smile. I'm walking along looking and thinking about something else, and they go by and smile, and how are you? <laughs> yeah. And I give it right back, and it's now become so common that I the would norm. think 98% of the people I come across now do that with me. So talk about how we can, mm-hmm. as co-creators, influence the positivity in wow. this universe. Yeah. And and I got all that from my story, which was the lady in the elevator in the building I lived Yes. She's on the lower floor. I got on, get down there, about halfway. She gets on and she says with a big smile in the morning, how are you doing? Good to see you again. And you knew she meant it. She wanted to know how you were and she wished you the best. Mm -hmm. And it just lightened me up so much. Her whole demeanor and meaning it and coming from heart made me feel good for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And, And the more you can come from authentic, your authentic self the more powerful it is. Well, and we all know everyone used to say just, oh, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't really mean it. It was right. it was a statement and people were, oh, fine. Mm-hmm. Or if it's socially acceptable to say it and that's what you did, there is no depth to yep. your saying any of it. And it has to be authentic. Yes. Know? One thing that always gets me from a heart point of view is when someone calls you by name, Mm-hmm. And I'm not really good always remembering everyone's names. Neither <laughs> um, am I. Yeah. But I got to tell you guys, and I, I know what on the receiving end, someone says, hey, good morning, Karen, mm. versus good morning. 
there's a totally different feel. There's a totally different bounce in my step. There's a different energy that flows through because it makes me feel like it's personalized. Mm. You've meant something to someone in there. Yeah. Life. And we all struggle. I know, I, I won't say we all. I know I struggle with learning everyone's names, but that's one thing on my always list of how do I affect <laughs> this better mm. is make sure you know everyone's names. And truth be told, I, I believe, and I don't know if this works for everyone, but if you just relax and get to know the people that you interact with, you get to know their names. You don't have to memorize them. You don't have to write them down. You have to put them on a chart. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> it all comes very, very naturally as it should. It's still authentic. I'll be the, I'll, I hate to be it, but I'll be the first one to admit. I am horrible at remembering people's names unless I actually sit down and have a conversation with them. Because if I'm just casually introduced and they're on their way, I don't remember this. Well, and I think, Martin, that's my point. And I don't think anyone expects anyone to remember their name well here's the problem if they casually are met well i walk through the building and 80 percent of the people who pass me greet me by name and i swear i've never seen them before <laughs> I don't, I don't. I'm going, how do they one, know me <laughs> one of the challenges is when you work in any organization if everyone has been there before you and you are a new hire or the only one hired during a certain period of time, mm. you become the one new face. Yes, that's true. But if you're the new person and you're walking into an organization that might be 200 people, they will remember you. Yeah. So I feel your pain, Martin, because <laughs> when I started with my organization, everyone was like, good morning, Karen. Good morning. I have no clue who you are, but you're really friendly. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Again. I think they understand that. At least I have to believe that. Mm. And I have to practice what I preach in being the best I can be in moving towards my sovereign self. Mm -hmm. And as I do that, over time, now I can say, good morning, Beth. Good morning, Sarah. Mm. Good morning, Tracy. But it's all authentic. Mm. It is very authentic because now I've gotten to know them. It wasn't rehearsed. I think, too, one of the barriers for people is being that vulnerable or being that open. Sometimes we can all recognize today everybody is searching for love. Everybody wants love. So that when you first introduce yourself, if you're the type of person that is very open and allowing, for me, when I was practicing that ability, there was always this nagging feeling that somehow I might be taken advantage of by a whole horde of people that is desperately looking for love. And if I open myself to being able to express it and give it out, that the demands on me would be too great. It's interesting you brought that up because it is a judgment that I'm still dealing with this still judgment. Dreaming, yeah. There is still a part of me that is very much uncomfortable with being so available. Mm -hmm. I, I think all of us deal with insecurities and those judgments or those fear of judgments mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. some aspect. From my perspective, I, I can say that, yeah, absolutely. Ron, I agree with you completely. It's learning where you, you, the boundaries are. Yeah. It's also about not letting those fears, as you always tell us, mm -hmm. false expectations appearing real. Yep. Do yes. not let them guide us. 
So when I get into situations, I actually hear your voice, scary as it is. (laughs) False expectations appearing real. Don't do it, Karen. (laughs) Don't do it. And then you move forward because that's who I am. You move forward from your heart center. You know what? You might make some choices along the way. And then you say, hmm, that might not have been the best way to go. But that's okay. Because you wouldn't know that if you didn't try it. You have to try it. That's what free will is all about. Mm -hmm. And this is the beauty and the gift that being physical in this body presents. Yeah. Because it will constantly reflect when you're in balance and you're in joy you will have encounters that are that will match that. And then when you're not in balance and you're not in joy, you will also have encounters that will reflect that and say, hey, this is what you're creating. Is this what you want to create? Yeah. Where are you going with this? Yeah. 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 I've often heard that the third dimension and where we are currently at the bottom of the time matrix is the primary training ground for those who are on the ascension path to becoming God. Mm-hmm. This is where you will learn the do's and don'ts, the principles that work, the thought patterns that you need to be the God that we are in the upper dimensions. You will learn everything in this density. And simply because time moves at such a slow pace here, you don't have instant manifestation. If we did, we'd probably kill ourselves within the next second with our untrained minds. This is the area where we gain the most value at becoming our sovereign self. So when we talk about becoming our sovereign self, there's some things that I focus on. Mm -hmm. And I would like to ask both of you what you guys focus on. I focus on grace, joy, unity, and gratitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are many things things to to focus on if we're going into that type of thing. You do have grace and, and love and wisdom and allowing all the things we've always talked about there's always as you said gratitude there is awareness there's self-love there's giving connection to everything there's respect there's responsibility there's integrity Mm. the list goes on and essentially what i narrow it down to in a very broad sense is not narrowing at all (laughs) what are the offshoots of coming from your heart and love any behavior action or reaction that is coming from heart center is all good is good and that includes gratitude and grace and wisdom and integrity and responsibility and all of that as long as you can think it up and you know it's coming from heart and love then it is part of being a sovereign self that's Mm -hmm. that's the way i define it in broad terms if i can put it that way (laughs) that that makes perfect sense martin i mean when i think about all of the time that three of us have spent together one of the things that resonates with me obviously is your book receiving the gift we give it's always about coming from your heart center to me that's where it starts yeah everything else is an and offshoot it, and ends <laughs> well it, yeah, it's everything in a way, i mean you it's, know. It's, a, it's an offshoot so i have to always ask myself am i being loving and i would encourage all of our listeners when something sparks you When something makes you irate or when something just triggers you, Mm -hmm. ask yourself, what would love do in this situation? Yeah. And it will not lead you astray. For me, I was just going to say, for me, with regards to what I focus on, there are two methods that I use when I'm looking at 
how do I express or how do I become my sovereign self? There is a structured approach, and this is what is known as, in Native Indigenous terms, it would be the medicine wheel, where you have various aspects of mastery in various locations within the wheel. You can either follow those particular gates on a month-to-month basis, where this is this month I'm going to be focusing on compassion, this month I'm going to be focusing on love, and this month I'm going to be focusing on intelligence. So there is a structured approach that you can use when you're learning the tools of mastery. Then there's also another approach that I'm also learning more and more from, and that is simply the experience of life and allowing the experience of life to bring me the lessons that are most needed. And that's there's a trust factor there with the universe that says, I, I trust you that if I'm lacking in one area, you're going to bring me something that is going to cause me to have a reflection, to to force me to look at something within myself. So there's life that can bring you these teachings of the self-sovereign identity, or you can actually use a structured approach, which would be a form of a mandala or a wheel and placing various concepts of mastery on each of the points and allowing a structured time to show you what those elements are. One of the interesting things is I know Karen, the the question and and sort of led off into the behaviors, but Ron brings up a very valid point, and that is beyond that, there is knowledge, Mm -hmm. and wisdom is based on having an understanding of things and experience, but it's also knowledge as well. So there's, there's the pure learning knowledge and there's experience and how it all combines that will help you with your wisdom. And one of the things there is that so many people ignore knowledge these days. I believe that the more you can learn about anything and everything since it's all connected, the more you will understand why it's all connected and what oneness is. Knowledge is something that's overlooked. It's not just behaviors unless you take learning as a behavior, which it probably is. There is that whole aspect as well. And then you brought in the other aspect is, of course, asking and having trust. And knowing that things will be brought to you if you ask, so you put it out there. Because being one with all the universe, the universe will respond to your requests as well. So it's beyond just what you're doing internally in the sense of how you're behaving with other people. It's how you're behaving with yourself as well that comes Mm -hmm. into the whole other side of it. And it all comes together. So in essence, being your sovereign self, there is nothing left out. Mm -hmm. It encompasses Mm -hmm. all. It's, it gets big. <laughs> and the universe is always conspiring to bring you to your next level. Oh, absolutely. And that is where a lot of people have a tendency to suspect that the, the universe is a violent place, right? <laughs> and again, it introduces the whole concept of let's fear the universe. Oh, God, like, you know, there's, there's stuff out there that's out there to get you. And no, that's not the case. The entire universe is conspiring to bring you along to your best next level. This is all a part yeah. of God, and that's what God wants for everything. I would challenge everyone that's listening to this program to ask yourself, of all the things that have gone on in your life, can you think of what you gained from it? Don't think about what you lost from it. That experience, that horrific whatever happens to be, that horrific experience, what did you gain from it? And what did others gain from it? For example, Given a situation where you may be walking into something that may or may not be uncomfortable and you have some pent-up fears about it, 
Remember, we all know those are false expectations appearing real. But if you come from your heart center and you actually know what you want the outcome to be coming from your heart center, in other words, where do you want things to arrive at? You'd be really amazed at if you go through that process and say to yourself, this is exactly where I'm meant to be. And in my heart, I know. And that comes back to what Ron was talking about earlier about the trust factor. Mm-hmm. I know things will turn out the way they're meant to be. Trust me, they will. Now, will they be exactly what you expected or what you wanted? Maybe, maybe not. So I would ask you, if you take that example and say, well, two weeks later, is that what I wanted? Uh, maybe not what I expected. Maybe not what I thought. What did I gain from this? And I will almost guarantee you there is something good that came out of whatever that situation was. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you brought that up because in that moment where you're recognizing that you're holding a fear-based judgment of something mm-hmm. and that that could possibly influence the outcome if this particular situation. For me, the kick in the pants that awakened <laughs> me was when I recognized that I had that fear And I picked up the fear in my mind and said, no, not today. What it does is it opens up a space. Now, if you have trust that the universe is going to bring you all good things, more than likely the experience that comes out of this, even though you might not have have even an expectation of what the outcome you want, the universe will still provide you with something that will be ultimately pleasurable. If you have the trust. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Ron. You captured it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, in the same situation, and, and it all goes to the heart of what we've talked about before, is that people go in with expectations and self-create them. It's that self-creation that we have control over. We can look at any situation and get angry, or we can look at it and give allowance and understanding and not get angry. It is still, as I said in the introduction, it goes back to Everything in life is our choice. With the opening up to the universe and allowing it and having some trust and faith to help you along that path, if that's your intent and what you put out there, it will always turn out much better than taking the other route of playing with fear. And much better than you expected. Oh, yeah. Even, Even without the fear, it almost comes out, at least my experience has always been, it comes out better than you would have wished for it in the first place. And the thing of it is, is there, and I love, Martin, when you were saying allowing, we've coined the phrase unconditional love. That was the first one that we heard. And then we heard unconditional freedom. Now I'm, I'm thinking we also have the term unconditional allowance. Yes. Mm. The idea behind the unconditional aspect of all of these adverbs is the fact that we are trying to live a life of no judgment. You don't have to change everyone. You don't have to correct everyone. You don't have to make everyone believe what you believe. That's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, in that situation where I said, no, not my fear today, I was going to allow the universe to fill in how the creation of the next moment was going to happen. There is an ultimate unconditional allowance that says, I know the outcome for both this person and myself will definitely be a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is only based on the fact that you have to go into that situation with absolutely no judgment. 
Right. And we have to remember that we get to co-create. We are part of one. We can co-create negative, which mm-hmm. we often do, or we can co-create positive. Right. And then it's like, wow. And that's the key, though. You're co-creating positive. Yeah. Because the other thing I said in the introduction was each of our roots to God can be totally unique and your own. And in fact, they are. And that's where the allowance comes in. Let someone else go along their own path and determine where they want to go and what teaches them who they want to be and not want to be. It's not up for us to say, oh, you shouldn't be like that or, oh, no, that's wrong or, oh, no, that's this. (laughs) Allow them to experience that for themselves just like we do. I think for every bad experience I've ever gone through, if you look at the cup half full or the cup half empty, I can take a, a gazillion really bad experiences and I can just look at them and say, wow. Look what I got from this. A full cup. Full <laughs> cup. Full cup runneth over. The fact also is that in the medicine teachings that I had, you never go where you're not invited. Giving advice to someone who's not asked for it, right. that is hubris to the height. You're assuming that you know what's best for this person's soul when you don't even, in more instances than not, you don't even have contact with your own soul. <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. I would ask our listeners to look back on the number of what you potentially think is something negative that happened in your life, mm-hmm. I would challenge them, each and every one of us, to say, but what came out of that? Yeah. Who would you be and without I'd it? Be, I would be surprised if you can't find something really awesome. Right. I'd be, I'd be amazed. Mm-hmm. And before we go any further, I'm sorry to say, we are down to the end of the program. Oh, no. Yes, we are. All right. (laughs) So once again, time to wrap up. And everyone who's listening, I hope this program was entertaining. I think we covered off a myriad of good things. And I hope some of it resonated with you. We'd love to hear from you. So obviously you can go on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Sovereign Self. Love to hear from you. And we give thanks to our home network the Law of Attraction Radio Network and all of the wonderful help they've given us. Thank you. And beyond that, I hope you all have an absolutely fabulous week. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Have a fantastic week, folks. Thank you for listening to The Sovereign Self. We will be back with another show that will celebrate the beauty and perseverance of you and your sovereign self. If you would like more information or to send questions to Martin, Karen or Ron, please go to their Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Sovereign Self. See you next week.